Ministry speaker presenter Lyle Southwell presenting the ancient codes of Bible prophecy in his live series called The Prophetic Code. You'll be amazed as he cracks the ancient codes of Bible prophecy in ways you have never heard before. Okay, let's bow our heads as we start with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to spend this time with you once again this evening and we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'll be with us to guide us, to speak to us, to draw us close to you. We pray that you'll teach us your word, that you'll reveal yourself to us and draw us close to you. And so we pray for your blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening we look at the symbol of water. And as we move into the subject of the symbol of water, I want to ask a question. I'll put this picture up here on the screen. I want you to tell me, who is this a picture of? Yeah? Who would you guess it's a picture of? Yeah, most people would guess that's a picture of Mary and Jesus, wouldn't you? Yeah? That's a Babylonian Hindu and mother-child deities. Now, of course, today we find often the statue of Mary and Jesus within the context of Christianity. And the question that arises is, where did this concept originate from? Now, there's nothing wrong with the concept of Jesus and Mary because Mary gave birth to Jesus and that's a simple historical reality. However, when we look at the worship of the mother and child or the Madonna and child, as it is referred, is a very ancient symbol. It goes all the way back to Semiramis and to her son, Tammuz. Because when Tammuz was born, as we've mentioned uh, many other times, Tammuz was considered to be the son of God. This was Satan preparing a great counterfeit. He knew what was going to take place and he got in early and created a counterfeit. And this was the counterfeit right here. Of course, one of the names... Uh, that was used for Tammuz was the name of Mithra. And we'll look at that in a little bit more detail as we work our way through tonight's subject. Now, wherever the religion of Nimrod went and Ishtar and Tammuz, it was followed by the worship of the mother and child. And so you find the Madonna and child all over the place in the ancient world. In fact, you find this as being a very significant one in ancient Egypt where you had Isis and Horus a very familiar symbol that you'll find throughout Egypt popping up all over the place. And so you'll find that the Greeks worship the mother and child, the Romans worship the mother and child, people from Cyprus worship the mother and child, uh, all around the Mediterranean and across into Asia and even into the Americas, you have the worship of the mother and child. And so you find that as the people spread out from the city of Babylon so long ago, the principles of worship that were established in Babylon spread with them. You find it all the way across in Asia and China and places. And then, of course, we have the Christian ones that we're so familiar with today. And, of course, what happened was during the early centuries of Christianity, as paganism was entering the church, as the pagan priests were endeavoring to preserve their religion by placing it within the center of Christianity... They took this same concept and renamed their gods and called them Mary and Jesus. Now, I had an interesting experience while I was doing some research one time in Rome. And I was walking down a street and walking past, uh, it almost looked like a wall, and there's a little sign, a little door that was open, and I noticed that it went into a church. And so as you do, you walk in, 
and it was the church of St. Clementi. Fascinating place. Now, as I was looking around inside this particular church, there was, uh, over in one corner, there was a sign that said you could go downstairs. Now, this is an 11th century church, and you could go downstairs to a 3rd century church, a very, very old church indeed. And it was a little bit hard to take photographs down there because you weren't allowed to take photographs, and I just sort of snuck a few. Um, (laughs) Don't tell them. But uh, it was an interesting place. If you go down in this very, very old church, down to the far end of this church, it dates back to the time when paganism was entering the church. Down past the altar, at the end, you come to a narrow tunnel hidden away. And you go down through this narrow tunnel carved through the rock, And down underneath the church of St. Clementi, you have a worship place carved out for the worship of Mithra. And so the priests could participate in the worship of Jesus above and then sneak off down below to where you had the worship place of Mithra right here. And so I managed to get that photo. I did manage to set off the alarm in taking that photo, but I got my photo. Praise the Lord. Now, interestingly, with the worship of Mithra, the son of Ishtar, Tammuz, as he was known, one of the the key symbols associated with the worship of Mithra was the symbol of water. Now, water is one of the most essential elements in the world. You can live for quite a number of weeks without food, but you can only go a couple of days without water. And so the ancients recognized that without water, you could not survive. Water was one of the foundational things for life, and so they used it as a symbol, a very powerful symbol and a symbol of cleansing. And if you went into worship in the temple of Mithra, you would find that at the entrance to every temple, and many of the other uh, temples had exactly the same thing, you would have this bowl here. It would be in the shape of a scallop shell. It would be full of holy water. And as you're worshiping there, the, uh, the priests of Mithra, they would come in carrying the statue of the Madonna and child and sprinkling holy water on the people who were participating in that particular worship And so you find today that once again the same thing has carried through and here we find the scallop-shaped shell at the entrance to so many churches still full of holy water, still through unto this day. Now the use of holy water in sprinkling is quite ancient. In fact, the worshippers of Mithra used to have a naming ceremony on the eighth day for boys and the ninth day for girls where they would brush water on those children at that particular ceremony. The Greeks would keep a vessel of holy water at the entrance to all of their temples. The Persians, rather than using a brush, would do the same thing but use a branch of laurel. Um, Hindus, among some of the different sects of Hindus, they would sprinkle three times, but rather at the time of birth, this would be at the time of death. The Mexicans sprinkled at birth and considered that anyone who touched an unsprinkled child was unclean. And so we find that the concept of using water as sprinkling at the time of birth is very, very ancient It goes way back before the time of Christ. And so the question then then comes up is, well, what about baptism? Because we're all familiar with the Christian rite of baptism, aren't we? You know, it's a funny thing, but if you go back in the history of Christianity, baptism was a very simple thing and very easy to understand. But if you look at it today, you will find a hundred different reasons and ways of doing baptism. I don't know whether there's a hundred or not, but there's a lot of them. In fact, some of the different ways I've heard of people being baptized, 
make a bit of a list here. Uh, some people believe that baptism is not necessary. Others do sprinkling. Others do three times forward. Others pour water on the head. These are just a, some of the list. Some of them do full immersion. Some of them, this happened in Hollywood. A guy got baptized in rose petals. It only happened in Hollywood. Um, you can get baptized over the phone. You can get baptized online. There are so many ways of being baptized today. Some people even get baptized for dead relatives. We could go on and on and on. The question is this. God has given us a symbol, a code, right here for something very special and very precious. Was he copying something from the pagans or did he have something totally different in mind? Let's find out what does the Bible say. Does that sound fair enough? Because when you know what the Bible says, you know what the truth is. So let's begin by turning our Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and here Jesus makes a statement. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had come to Jesus at night time because he was a bit embarrassed to be seen talking to Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, that's to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. He says, well, how can you be born again? You know, can you go back inside your mother and be born again from her womb? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so here Jesus outlines two things necessary for entering God's kingdom. Isn't that so? And when he outlines these two elements right here, he uses the word except. And when he uses the word except, then that makes it necessary. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, he says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so we find that being born of water is associated with being born again. Let's look at this in another place. Let's turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And let's read what the Bible says in verse 16. You'll find that on page 413. Page 413. Mark 16 and verse 16, the Bible says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believed not shall be damned. And so once again, the Bible outlines two things right here. Number one, to believe. Number two, to be baptized as being necessary for salvation. Now we understand why it is important to believe to be saved, isn't that? So that's kind of obvious, isn't it? If you don't believe in Jesus and you say, no, Jesus, I don't, I don't believe in you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, he's not going to force you to go to heaven, is he? No, your power of choice is sacred and God will never violate your power of choice. But Jesus links this up with the symbol of baptism and baptism is linked up with the symbol of water. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why does Jesus make such a big issue over something that is a symbol or a code? The answer is found in when we actually understand what it is a symbol or a code for. Now we already know that it is associated with being born again. We have to ask ourselves the question, then, what does it mean to be born again? 
Now, obviously, if we were literally born again from our mother, we would be a new person, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would be a brand new baby. We could start all over again. And probably for some of us, we could look back at our life and say, yeah, I wouldn't mind a, 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 a second shot at it. I can look back on my life and there are a whole lot of things in my life that I wouldn't do if I had a second chance. Put the past behind me, start over again. So it sounds pretty good. What is Jesus talking about? Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans and let's find out why is it that Jesus says that this is something that is so significant and important that he says that he that believes and is baptized. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to look. Romans chapter 6, and you'll find this on page 456. Romans chapter 6, we will begin in verse 3. Here the Bible says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Into his death. It goes on. Therefore... We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I want you to notice three things are taking place right here. The Bible speaks about baptism, and then the Bible goes on and it speaks about the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that so? And the Bible says right here that we're baptized into Jesus' death, that we are buried with him by baptism, and that we are raised back to life. Well, how can we die, be buried, and be raised back to life? Who is it, what is it that is dying right here? The answer is found in verse 6, where it says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, And when the Bible speaks about the old man, the Bible is speaking about the person that you used to be. The person that you used to be. What does, it say? what does the Bible say happens to the person you used to be? The person that you used to be is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says it a little bit like this. He says, I want to come to you. I want to take away your old heart, your heart of stone, he describes it as, and I want to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. It's not that Jesus is going to take away our old heart, fix it up a little bit and plug it back in. He's like, no, I'm going to take that old heart away. I'm going to get rid of it and I'm going to give you a completely new and different one. You are going to be a completely new and different person just as if you'd gone back into your mother and been born as a new person. Jesus is all about turning our lives around and making us into new people. Isn't that good news? Praise God. It is always a good thing when Jesus changes our life. And you know, this is the most powerful miracle that you'll find anywhere is the changed life of a person when they give their life to Jesus Christ. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, how radically it changed my life. I was a young person. I was 15 years old. I was incredibly lost. I had no idea who I was or where I was going, what I was going to do with my life. I was just adrift in the big wide world. Things at home weren't as great as they could have been at the time. 
And to cut a long story short, I started to search and I started to read my Bible and God completely and radically changed my life. I went from not having a faintest idea who I was to knowing exactly who I was, where I was going, what I was going to do. And God can do that. God, Jesus specializes in this right here, in turning our lives around and making us into new people, in turning our defeats into victories. Sometimes we look back at our past life and we see failures and we see defeats. I know that I do. But Jesus specializes in turning around all that around, giving us a fresh start and giving us a new life. That's what he came down for. That's why he says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I have never yet met anyone who has ever regretted giving their life to Jesus Christ. And I've met a lot of people that regret a lot of things in their life. Never met anyone who ever regretted giving their life to Jesus Christ. So how does baptism symbolize what's taking place right here? Well, the Bible says that it speaks of burial, death, burial, resurrection, and a new life in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, when we deal with baptism, the baptism that you find in the Bible is a perfect symbol of it because the baptism you find in the Bible involves immersion in water. And when a person is immersed in the water... Before they go under the water, what happens? Their eyes close, they stop breathing. That's a pretty good symbol of death, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Then they go under the water. You can't see them from the surface of the water. They're all the way underneath. That's a good symbol of burial. Then they come back up out of the water and the reverse takes place. They open their eyes, they start breathing again. A good symbol of resurrection. This is a symbol, a code of what has taken place in your life. It symbolizes that the old you is gone and that you are now living a new life in Jesus Christ. That you have made that surrender, you have made that decision and you've said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is a symbol of. And so we have a couple of uh, examples here on the screen of baptisms taking place in different parts of the world. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how does the Bible then say? If there are so many ways and so many theories out there as to how baptism takes place, what does the Bible actually have to say about this? And if this symbol, this code is so important, what is the correct way? Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Mark. We'll start in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, page 405. And here we have the baptism of Jesus. Now, as we turn to this, let me ask you a question. Can you ever go wrong following the example of Jesus? No, you can go wrong doing lots of things, but you will never go wrong following the example of Jesus. And here in Mark chapter 1, page 405, the Bible says in verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John. Whereabouts? Near the Jordan? In the region of the Jordan? Are you sure? Yeah, it says so? Yeah, I'm good. My Bible says that too. My Bible says that he wasn't baptized near the Jordan. He was baptized in the Jordan. And in verse 10, and straight away coming up out of the what? So that means that he was previously down in the what? Water. So the Bible says that Jesus comes up out of the water after he has been baptized. Therefore, we know that Jesus was down in 
the water. And so when we come to the symbol of baptism, we find it has actually nothing to do with sprinkling. It is all about immersion in water. That's how Jesus was baptized. If we go to the book of Acts, let's go over to the book of Acts. Let's look at another example over here. And over here you find the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Here was a man. He had come to Jerusalem to worship God. He wasn't even a Jewish person, but he was worshiping God because he knew that this God was the true God. Page 443, Acts chapter 8. But he did not understand the gospel. And as he's riding in his chariot going home, he's reading the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophecy about Jesus Christ. And as he does not understand what's going on in this prophecy... God sends Philip, and Philip catches up to him, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, no, I don't understand it. So Philip gets up in the chariot with him, and they sit down, and they have a Bible study together. And so Philip is able to fill in the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle for the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we find the story in verse 35, Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does stop me from being baptized? I love that attitude, don't you? Isn't that a good attitude? When, when he sees the water and he believes in Jesus, he's like, well, what's stopping me from being baptized? I'm going to do this. Praise the Lord. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and they, woke, and they went down both into what? The water. Both Philip and the eunuch and he did what? Baptized him. And verse 39, and when they were come up out of the what? Is that fairly simple? Can you write it down any more simply? You know, I find it so simple. It never ceases to amaze me how we as human beings can take the simple things of God and we always try and make them complicated, don't we? There's nothing complicated about what is happening here. It's a symbol of death, burial, resurrection, a new life in Jesus. One of the greatest symbols that you'll find in the Bible. One more example. We'll turn to the Gospel of John for this one, John chapter 3 again. John chapter 3, page 429. In verse 23, John chapter 3 and verse 23, it simply says this, And John, that's John the Baptist, also was baptizing in Aenon near to Salem because, why? There was lots of water there. Now, if I was going to baptize you all by sprinkling... I could baptize every single person in the room with this cup of water. Isn't that so? Yeah. I don't need a lot of water. I only need a little bit. John was baptizing in this particular location because there was lots of water there and he could immerse people. In fact, do you know what the word baptize literally means? It's a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word baptizo and it literally means to immerse, to submerge to dip underwater. That's the meaning of the word. It's never had any other meaning. In fact, if we look at this next statement right here, examples have been drawn from writers in almost every department of literature and science, from poets, rhetoricians, philosophers, critics, historians, geographers, from writers on husbandry, on medicine, on natural history. Of course, this is all in the Greek language. 
on grammar, on theology from almost every form and style of composition, romances, epistles, orations, fables, odes, epigrams, sermons, narratives from writers of various nations and, re and religions, pagan, Jew, Christian, belonging to many countries. And through a long succession of ages, in all, the word has retained its ground meaning without change. Never meant anything other than immersion. From the earliest age of Greek literature down to its close, a period of nearly 2,000 years, not an example has been found in which the word has any other meaning. There is no instance in which it signifies to make a partial application of water by effusion or sprinkling or to cleanse to purify apart from the literal act of immersion as the means of cleansing and purifying. And so we find that many of the early uh, churches were built with baptismal tanks in them. And of course those tanks are used in a different way now, but the original concept was that you would be able to fill it up with water. And so we find baptism a symbol of surrender to Jesus Christ. You know, if we turn our Bibles to the book of Philippians, let's understand in a little bit more depth what it means to surrender, what it means to die to self, to give yourself to Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, and we will read, this is page 474, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And here Paul says this, a simple verse, he simply says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if you want to become a new person, how do you actually do that? What is the verb? What is the action word in this verse right here? What's the action word? Can you all see it there? Let this mind be in you. Let Jesus come in. You see, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And he stands at the door of everybody's heart and he knocks and he wants to come in. The question is, will we open the door or not? I think that sometimes we think, well, you know, I can't let Jesus come into my life until I've become a better person. And so I've got to clean all of this rubbish out of my life before I can let him come in. The simple reality is you can't clean any of that rubbish out of your life until he comes in and he is the one who cleans it out of your life. We can't do it on our own. And baptism is a symbol that we have let Jesus come into our life. Is that simple, friends? So often we make it so complicated is not complicated. It's simple. It's just saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to get rid of all the rubbish that is in my life and respond to Jesus when he calls. And this is why we, we read this passage the other night from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. You see, when we let Jesus come in, that is a surrender of ourselves to somebody else. We are giving ourselves to somebody else. The old you is dead. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Then he goes on. Do you think Paul ever regretted that? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. You see, he had got himself into lots of trouble many times through his life. Now he had surrendered to Jesus Christ. Yet not I, not me who messes up all the time and gets my... It's Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, this is where Christianity is the direct opposite 
of every other religion on the planet. You see, every other religion will find the solution to your life within yourself and your strength and your power. Christianity says the opposite of that. Christianity says the solution to your life is not within yourself. It's not within your power because you don't have the power to do that and we can all look back at our lives. We know that's true, don't we? Christianity says the solution to your life is by you letting somebody else come in, somebody who has made a success of their life, changing you around and making you into a completely new and different person. And I praise God that Jesus does that. I look back on my life and I see what God has done with me and it never ceases to amaze me, the power of God. I wish I had the time to tell you all the amazing things that God has done in my life. Maybe one time I will. Maybe one time I'll have a time to share with you some more of my testimony. But it just, I look back and it just staggers me. I, I, you know, if, I'd have, if I had have known, I could never have dreamed that I would be here today doing what I am today back when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ. I could never have imagined that. And everything good that I have in my life today is based on that one decision that I made to give my life to Jesus. And Jesus wants to do exactly the same thing for you. Now, the question that then comes up is this. What are the prerequisites for baptism? Some people ask the question, do you, do you get baptized so that you can be born again? The answer to that is no. Baptism in and of itself is a symbol, and it is a symbol of something that has already taken place in your life. So it's appropriate to be baptized after you have made that decision to say, Jesus, come into my life. If you are baptized without having given your life to Jesus Christ as a sinner, after your baptism, do you know what you are? You're a wet sinner. The water is simply a symbol that Jesus has come in and changed your life. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at the prerequisites for baptism. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, this is page 404. Page 404. Jesus, the Bible says, came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he goes on and he says, Go you therefore. So we are to go out based on the reality that God has been given all power. That indicates to us that he's going to share that power with us. Isn't that so? Amen. All power is given. Go you therefore, and notice what he says to do. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, friends, when we look at this particular passage here, what is it that the disciples were to do before they baptized people? He says, go you therefore and do what? Teach all nations and then do what? Baptize them. Now this is significant. Why does the Bible say 
that they were to teach them before they baptized them. I think it's probably kind of obvious. It would be foolish to go out and baptize a whole bunch of people and say, okay, now that you're baptized, let me tell you what it means to be a Christian. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? In fact, I would say that this is because God is not like some used car salesmen. They have a bit of a reputation, don't they? I say some because I'm sure there are some Christians. Anyone here used car salesmen? Okay, I'm not going to offend anyone tonight. That's good. A used car salesman, when you go in there to look at a car, he's got one thing on his mind, doesn't he? He wants to get your signature on the bottom of that contract, doesn't he? He's not worried about you reading the fine print. Like, don't worry about the fine print. Just just sign right here because the moment he's got your signature, that's it. Your money's coming his way. Isn't that how it works? God is not like that. God doesn't say, look, um, get your signature here on the bottom of this contract. Okay, good. Now you're baptized. You're locked in. That's it. Um, Whether you like it or not, I'm taking you to heaven. Uh, And now that you've signed up, now I'll tell you what it actually means to be a Christian. God doesn't operate like that. No, God says this. Go and teach all nations. Then they can make their own decision as to whether they will be a Christian or not. And then when they make that decision, then baptize them. Let's go over to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. We read this one before. Let's read it again. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. What is the prerequisite for baptism over here? Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. And here the Bible simply says, he that believes and is baptized. What is the prerequisite for baptism? But it doesn't make any sense. Does it make any sense to baptize somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so belief is a prerequisite for baptism. Well then, let's go over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And we'll find one more prerequisite for baptism over here. Acts chapter 2, page 440, where the Bible says this in verse 37. Peter has been preaching. And it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and do what? And be baptized. So what comes before baptism here? Repentance. So here we have three biblical prerequisites. Once again, does it make any sense to be baptized as a symbol of death to self, death to the old man, death to the old life, and a new life in Jesus Christ? Does it make any sense to do that when you've never even repented of the things the old man has done. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No, of course not. And so the Bible says that repentance is a prerequisite for baptism. And so some people ask me the question and they say, well, you know, um, where does the concept of sprinkling fit into what we've been studying here from the Bible? And the simple answer is that it doesn't. Now, I realize a lot of people don't, haven't studied it through and they don't realize that. But the concept of sprinkling, you do not find anywhere within Scripture. Particularly the concept of sprinkling newborn babies. You don't find that in the Bible. Jesus is our example. Jesus was baptized as an adult. 
set as an example of being baptized at an age at which you could make a decision for yourself and understand for yourself what was taking place. It makes sense, doesn't it? That way you can be taught, you can believe, you can repent, you can make that decision and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want Jesus to come into my heart and I want to publicly demonstrate that through baptism. It's a little bit like marriage in some ways. If you think about marriage, there are two parts to marriage. There is a, a, a union together of a, of a husband and wife where they fall in love with each other. Now, you can't actually physically see love as an entity. You can see the fruit of it, can't you? Because you can tell when two people are deeply in love with each other. But you can't actually see the thing, love. So you have, they fall in love with each other, but then they publicly declare that love by having a wedding ceremony. Isn't that how it works? We all enjoy going to a wedding, don't we? Seeing two people in love, giving their lives to each other. And baptism is a lot like that. That's when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and we can see the evidence of it on the outside, even though we can't see that invisible connection with Christ. We see the evidence of it, and then baptism is where you publicly say, I've made a decision to give my life entirely to Jesus Christ. Now, a question that I'm often asked when I do this presentation is what about rebaptism? Being baptized twice. Does the Bible ever speak of being baptized twice? That's a good question. Let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. You'll find this on page 449, 450 thereabouts. Acts chapter 19. And we'll start reading here in verse 1. The Bible says, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, That they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let me ask you all a question here this evening. How many times were these people baptized? Twice. Was their first baptism a false baptism? No, they were baptized by John the Baptist, weren't they? You couldn't get a much better baptism than being baptized by John the Baptist. Was their second baptism a denial of their first baptism? No, of course not, absolutely not. Their second baptism built on the foundation of their first baptism, isn't that so? And so we have to then ask ourselves the question, well then, why were they baptized Twice. The answer is very simple. It's right there in the passage. They had never heard of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, the concept of the Holy Spirit, the teaching, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, is that a big issue? Yeah. Is that going to change your life? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to make your life take a radical and a new direction in your relationship with God. And this is what baptism is all about. It's all about a new start, a new direction in your life. And so here these people, they learn a new doctrine. It's a life-changing doctrine. We should always learn new things from the Bible. But when we learn a new life-changing doctrine, 
they were baptized a second time. And their second baptism built on the foundation of their first one. It wasn't in a denial. It was in many ways you had the first one here, then you had the second one here. This was the basis for their second baptism. There's something else that you'll find in the Bible. If you go to the book of Revelation, you find this over in Revelation. The Bible speaks of um, the, the church in Ephesus. And it speaks about the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, having left their first love, and God counsels them. These are people who had wandered away from God in their hearts. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, where it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly, and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. So here they wandered away from God. And what does God counsel them to do? To repent and to go back and do what? The first works, the foundational works of their Christian experience. Baptism is one of the foundational, one of the first things that you do when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And he says, look, go back and do the first works. Start over again. Make a fresh start. And so this is a passage for people who have wandered away from God. And so there are two times that it is appropriate for people to be baptized a second time. And so, friends, we find that in the Bible, baptism is a symbol of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A symbol that we have become new people in Jesus This evening I want to share a story with you that took place in 2004. At that particular time I was working in Denver, Colorado and we were working with a series of meetings similar to this one and we had a big baptism there, praise the Lord. There were about 560 people that were baptized and that was exciting. But let me share with you the story of one lady, this lady here, the older lady, she's 82 years old in that photo. This was the day of her baptism, and that's the the young lady standing uh, beside her there is the young lady that led her to Jesus Christ. And so she's about to be baptized, and so they stood there and took this photo. Um, It was a, a high day for her. She was so excited. This was her baptism day. And they're standing on the, on the concrete footpath right there and took this photo. And they went to walk off after having taken the photo. She caught her toe on the expansion joint in the concrete, fell over and cracked her head on the concrete. And so, of course, immediately they called the ambulance and the ambulance came and they were going to take her off to hospital, as you do. When the ambulance came and they, and they sought her out and they got her sitting back up and, and, and they were about to take her to hospital, she refused to get into the ambulance. She said, no, I'm not getting into that ambulance. She says, I've been waiting 82 years to be baptized. This is the day of my baptism and I will not get into that ambulance until I am baptized. She had a fracture in her skull. And you imagine what pain she must have been in. Well, of course, you can't force a person. And I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I was over the other side. And when the baptism was taking place, 
I thought it odd when they wheeled her in in a wheelchair with a big bruise on the side of her head and four people picked up that wheelchair. And wheelchair and all, she was baptised. And then she said, now you can take me to hospital. Now I see a story like that and God speaks to us, doesn't he? And there are many of us here, I don't know who you are or who you aren't, who have been baptised. There are many of us who haven't been baptised. Maybe you've just been sprinkled in the past. But God speaks to you tonight, specifically to those who haven't been baptised, and he calls you to make a surrender to Jesus Christ. And if you make that surrender to Jesus Christ, then the question is, why not? What's stopping you from being baptised? Now I have a card here. I wonder whether this is the card that we had the other night. We're supposed to have a different one, but we had this one. So I wonder if we could have that card handed out very quickly. Um, And it's a simple decision card. It's a card that I put together to give you an opportunity. I don't know who is who. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your story is. But if God is speaking to your heart tonight, and God is calling on you to make a surrender to him, and God is saying, this is something that you need to consider, then there is an opportunity here for you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Now, let me make this plain. This is not a decision this evening where we're necessarily saying, well, that's it, you've made a decision this evening, Um, we're going to baptise you tomorrow. Now, some of you may be ready to be baptised tomorrow. I don't know. But some of you may say, no, I'm not ready to be baptised tomorrow, but I want to begin preparing to be ready to be baptised like Jesus was baptised, baptised by immersion. And so there are a number of simple questions on the card. The first question is, this is one for everybody here this evening. I always like to have one for everyone. It simply says this, since I love Jesus, I desire to obey him. If that is your decision this evening, if you love Jesus and if you want to obey Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Put a mark on box number one. Then there's another question underneath that, and it says, I desire to be baptized like Jesus soon. If you have never been baptized like Jesus was baptized, and you would like to be baptized like Jesus was baptized all the way under the water, then put a mark on box number two. The third one is slightly different. It says, I desire to be re-baptized. If you've been baptized before, and this evening... For whatever reason it may be, maybe you have wandered away from God and tonight you are coming back. Or you've come back recently and you'd like to be rebaptized. And God is speaking to your heart and said, You've left your first love, but now you've come back. And now is the time to be rebaptized. Put a mark on box number three. And then we have a couple of other boxes there. I desire to become a part of God's commandment-keeping people by profession of faith. Or if you would like more reading material on the Bible subjects that we've been studying, then you can mark those boxes there, box number four and box number five. Friends, while we're filling this out, let me read to you something from the Bible. Matthew chapter three. It's a beautiful story. Beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, under John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Allow it to be so now, 
For thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. You know, Jesus did not need to be baptized. He was the one person who didn't need to be baptized. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to be baptized. You know why Jesus said, I'm going to be baptized? Because he set an example for each one of us. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to be baptized. In doing so, Jesus said, I do this to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness, when we fulfill the example of Jesus, we are doing that in righteousness as well. It goes on. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straight away out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And friends, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we make a decision to be baptized, the Father says exactly the same thing about each one of us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And God is well pleased when we follow the example of Jesus. This is an experience that Jesus offers to every single one of us. And I don't know. I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from. Maybe as you consider this this evening, there's hesitancy. And my question is, when we consider how good God is, what could actually stop us from being baptized? Why? It's understandable because Paul hesitated But when Paul hesitated, Ananias said to him this, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. He said, and now, why do you tarry? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And my question is the same this evening. What are you waiting for? Why not? Arise and be baptized. Call on Jesus Christ. He will change your life, friends. And so as you consider the questions that you have on the question card here this evening, if you'd like to be baptized, put a mark on box number two. If you'd like to prepare for it, maybe you're ready, maybe you're not. If you'd like to be rebaptized, then put a mark on box number three. Then here's what I want you to do. Take a card. Fold it in half. This is a decision between you and the Lord. And then as you head out this evening, put it in the decision, uh, the question box as you go out this evening. Put that decision card right there and that way we will be able to follow up with you and you can expect a phone call from us very, very soon. Friends, let's bow our heads as we close with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to be able to serve you. We thank you for the great gift of your son. We thank you for the privilege of being able to give our lives to you, to say, yes, Jesus, I let you come into my life. And the moment we say that, that you come into our life and you begin that process of changing us into a new and a different person. Father, I pray for every single person here this evening. I pray that all of us, 
have made decisions regardless of our background to serve you. I thank you for those who have made a decision for baptism this evening and those who have made decisions for baptism on the previous evenings. And Father, I pray that you'll bless each one in a special way. And so we pray that you'll keep us close to you. Bless us with your presence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to an M24 media production of The Prophetic Code by speaker-presenter Lyle Southwell. For more information, visit knowthecode.global or call 3ABN Australia Radio on 2 4973 3456.
That was Take Me to the Water from the 3ABN album Pillars of Our Faith, Volume 1. And now let's listen as Jamie George plays Our Great Saviour. 